Good morning, everybody, and uh, this is back on the road again show, or uh, I should say podcast. <laughs> anyway, um, headed to uh, one of my offices, and um, actually, I only have two, three of the sessions in, but anyway, um, yesterday I had the opportunity to um, celebrate the birthday of a young lady. 102 years old. That's crazy, right? 102 years old. And I will promise you, uh, she didn't look a day over 75. And I don't, I don't know what exactly she did to maintain that. But she was born in 1919 when Woodrow Wilson was the president. When the average salary was about $15 a week, a week, y'all. <laughs> and um, let's see, the arc welder had been invented that year. The pop-up toaster had been invented that year. And uh, what else was it? Something else was invented that year. Anyway, we had just signed the Treaty of Versailles after World War One, And... Uh, 1919. Good gracious. I just can't imagine. She told me she lived through the uh, Spanish flu. In fact, she was born during the Spanish flu and her mother, uh, I guess they were, they were Catholics. Her mother said she was praying over her baby uh, when she was just, uh, I guess, under a year. Um, she she thought she was going to die, and when she when she lived, the mother named her Mary, after uh, Mother Mary. Of course, I'm not Catholic, but that that holds a lot of weight with um, Catholics. The you know Mary. <clears throat> anyway, um, she uh, she said I survived the Spanish flu, and I've also survived the COVID. So she's a pretty tough old bird. Um, she does live in a uh, facility, a beautiful facility, I might add. <laughs> and uh, she was just as spry as she could be. Now, granted, she was in a wheelchair, um, but she could push herself around in the wheelchair at 102, y'all. I know 75-year-olds who can't do that. And uh, anyway, it was just incredibly awesome because... The last time I met someone who was an octogenarian, I think I might be saying that. Uh, I believe that's someone who's over, either 100 or over. But uh, the last time I met someone like that was back when I was just a kid. I must have been, uh, let's see, how old are you in the in the fifth grade? You must be about 12, 11. I think I was 11 years old. <laughs> anyway, um, I met a lady, and her name was Bertha. She was an elderly black lady, and she was 107, I want to say 107. Either 104 or 107. Either way, she was old. And I remember her telling me stories about uh, the soldiers, the Union soldiers coming in. That's during the Civil War, y'all. The Union soldiers coming in when she was just a child... And let's see, she, this must have been, I'm trying to do my math now, you're going to see how stupid I am. Um, 
Oh, this was, I say, I'm born in 66. So, 76, 1976. So, maybe. Anyway, she, she told me stories of the Union soldiers coming in. She can see their boots between the slats of the, uh, of the uh, cabin that they were living in and how her mom would take the kids and hide them under the house. And um, anyway, it was just, just amazing. I mean, all the things that that woman lived through. Of course, I'm just a kid. I think I was 10 years old. <laughs> I was just a kid. I didn't really know to appreciate the kind of history that this lady had. And so I've always had a, a love for history. And who better, really, to tell history than someone who's lived through it? And uh, my wife's grandmother uh, was born in um, Dresden, Berlin, and um, she she was she was a kid playing in the Black Forest, which is really kind of cool to think about it, you know, because the Black Forest is. It's beautiful, um, but it's it's um, it's worldwide known. Anyway, she grew up playing in the Black Forest, and when she became a young adult, um, I want to say late teens, early twenties, she was very smart. Um, I don't know if she was educated at the university or not, but she spoke, I believe, six or seven languages. Um, she just had a knack for it. She's very smart. And um, so she went to work for the German government. Long before Hitler came into power. But she had been working for the government in the, um, in the foreign affairs office. And when Hitler came into office in 38, I believe, 38 or 39. <clears throat> actually, it might have been 36. Anyway, when he came into power... Shortly after he came into power, um, he fired a whole bunch of people from the government, and she was one of them. And um, she was lamenting her job uh, in Berlin, outside the government building where she worked. She'd just been fired, and she walked outside, <clears throat> and she found a fountain that was nearby. And she sat down on the on the fountain edge and. Um, she sat there sort of lamenting over a job, worried, you know, like any young person, you know, the, the new government, a uh, new party had come in and taken over and she'd lost her job. And she, I guess she was thinking about how, you know, she was going to take care of herself. She wasn't married, didn't have any kids or anything, but uh, she, um, she said she sat there and this young man came and sat next to her and he had lost his job from the government too. He was also in the government affairs office. <clears throat> and um, she said they were sort of lamenting together. And I guess through the loss of the job and uh, the, the, the economy the way it was in Germany at the time, um, they sort of bonded over some sort of trauma. <laughs> and um, they fell in love and got married. And, <clears throat> and when the Nazis started prosecuting and persecuting uh, everybody they fled to um, they fled to Czechoslovakia fleeing to Czechoslovakia they thought that they would they would be able to um, I guess 
get away from the Nazis, thinking that they weren't going to expand their their uh, power, but they did, of course, and they came into Czechoslovakia, and um, uh, that's where they were living at the time, and so they had two sons, um, Robert and Johnny, and uh, Johnny had a kidney problem. Um, he basically needed to be on kidney dialysis. It was something very easy to do, but apparently when the Nazis came into Czechoslovakia and took over, um, they came in with much force because Czechoslovakia had opposed them, and um, so they wanted them to pay for it, and uh, Johnny, um, the the younger of the two brothers, uh, was unable to sustain life because of his kidneys, and so he died from kidney failure, and um, the young lady I was talking about, the young man, are my wife's grandmother and grandfather. <coughs> they were devastated by the death of Johnny. <coughs> and she told me stories about the Nazis and how they lived in an apartment in uh, Prague, Czechoslovakia. And they would, the Nazis would take, uh, uh, excuse me, hot coffee, always good in the morning. The Nazis would take coal and they would pour it in the streets. They would just come dump a truckload of coal in the streets. And, um, you know, it was, it was cold. It was wintertime. And, you know, they were doing their best just to survive. And then they would wait for the Czechoslovakians to come out of their homes or their apartments and gather up the coal. And they'd let them gather a bucket of coal. And then as they were, you know, running back to their apartment or their home, the Nazis would shoot and kill them. So there were dead bodies laying in the street and coal buckets flung about. <coughs> and um, there was this coal to start your fire in your apartment. And you're freezing, and it's only downstairs in front of you, in the, uh, you know, out in front of the apartment complex. And yet you're terrified to go out there. That was the, the cruelty of the Nazis and, and just a bunch of thugs, basically. And um, she said they were terrified. And one day that either Johnny or, or um, uh, Robert were looking down the window at the Nazis in the streets. And one of the Nazis looked up and saw them and uh, shot his gun up at them through the window. <clears throat> and um, could have killed them. And wouldn't have, no one would have been held responsible. And so the Nazis were, were very, very terrible. I know you probably already know that, but I knew it firsthand from the lady who lived there. And she said sometimes they would hear the Gestapo come up the stairs of the apartment, and they you know, they came up with force, and they had dogs, and they had you know soldiers, and you know you never knew whose apartment they were coming to. You were always terrified. And so they lived through the Nazis. Of course, you know the Allies came in, and uh, mostly Russians. Uh, Russia came in and just absolutely. Uh, if you can imagine, they were worse than the Nazis. <clears throat> and so, um, I only knew her as Bubby, and that's, uh, I think it's either German or Czech or something, um, for Grandma. And um, Bubby, uh, I, can't, I can't think of her first name now, that's kind of strange. Um, anyway, I talked to her many times on the phone. She lived in Wisconsin. 
they eventually moved to Wisconsin. Well, let me finish the story. I'm getting ahead of myself. I apologize. So the Nazis were run out by the Russians, and you know the Russians did not take prisoners at all. They, they, they tortured and shot a lot of the Nazis, which I don't lose sleep over. Um, but the Russians were much, um, much more aggressive, and if you can imagine, meaner um, than the um, than the Nazis. <clears throat> and so, I guess uh, Bubby and Detta um, decided, with their knowledge of languages and diplomacy and diplomatic protocol, um, they joined the the Russian Party, which was, of course, the Communist Party, and um, they became uh, employed with the with the Russian government in Czechoslovakia. And so they both were in government and they were doing well for themselves. And Bohemel, that's, um, that's uh, Bubby's husband, Bohemel, he, um, he got a job with um, the, the ambassador's office to the United States from Czechoslovakia. And um, because he had this job, it kind of put him in circles outside of Czechoslovakia. And so he ended up being stationed in uh, New York City, in the United Nations. And, um, or it might have been connected to the United Nations in some way, but he was with the embassy in New York City. <laughs> and um, then he became uh, the ambassador to the United States from Czechoslovakia, which is pretty amazing, actually. Um, he was a, he advanced in his career, and he um, he moved to Washington D.C. and um, he brought his family over with him, but um, he didn't tell them that he was uh, going to defect, and so he contacted the um, the, the, the D.C. Government and um, told him he wanted to defect from Czechoslovakia, and because our tensions were, our our political and relations with um, with Russia were were pretty pretty scary at the time. This was back in the oh gosh, um, let's see the war was over in '45. They went to work. Must have been in the '50s. Um, my father-in-law was only 11 at the time. And I cannot remember what year he was born, <clears throat> but it had to be had to be after 40, so somewhere between 40 and 45 probably. And uh, so our tensions with the Russians were always precarious at best, um, and there was a lot of cat and mouse. And I don't think we'd quite yet entered the Cold War yet, but there was always a fear. <laughs> you know, of, of Russia blowing us all up with nuclear weapons. And so I guess the U.S. didn't want to have that kind of, uh, I don't know, I guess there was a plausible deniability maybe. They didn't really want to piss off the Russians. And so they, they told Boamel, you cannot defect through America. You can't come through America and defect. But if you can defect through Canada, we will accept you, Okay. I don't know why it was just it was some sort of uh, card trick, I guess, political card trick. 
So he didn't tell Bubby that they were leaving, and apparently they had, um, I mean, you can imagine, you're a woman, you've, you've amassed what little bit you do have from the war, and you left one regime, the Nazi regime, and, you know, we're now under the, the oppression of the Russian regime, but you had managed to uh, eke your way up through the political ladder, and now you were somebody, and you're important. And so... <clears throat> They were, they were quite wealthy by the time Bohemel was the ambassador, and they had uh, a nice home. And of course, she had everything that you know she had she had through her mom and dad and everything uh, through, you know, what she'd purchased over the years since they were in um, public service. And it was all at the house in their home in Czechoslovakia, in Prague. And so when when Bohemel, you know contacted the Canadian embassy and let them know that he was willing to, you know, he wanted to defect to Canada. Um, they, of course, said, sure, you know. Um, I think there was no no hard feelings between them and the, uh, and the Russians, um, but, I, but they were more willing to let him do it. So, at any rate, he defected to Canada. They were living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And, uh, of course, this was a huge stink because, I mean, he was the ambassador. So he defected, came through Canada, and ended up moving to um, Chicago. And um, my father-in-law was raised in Chicago, Illinois, and, and actually just outside of Chicago in Berwyn. Um, and then um, my father-in-law, my my father-in-law's father, uh, my wife's grandfather, Boamel, because he had had such a I guess a high job in the in the government. Uh, he qualified for county register. I want to say it was county register. I'm not sure what they call it up there in Chicago, but he did that for probably 25 years, maybe, and then retired. And then he and um, Bubby settled up in uh, in Wisconsin in a little town called Eau Claire. And um, they loved it up there. It was outside the Dells, if you're familiar with. Wisconsin at all. It's uh, it's the Wisconsin Dales where all the uh, farmers, the, the dairy farmers are. And it's become quite a, a tourist uh, spot. But anyway, she was northwest of the Dales um, going towards Red Wing, but she was in a little town called Eau Claire. It was a really, really picturesque. When I went to Eau Claire for the first time, um, I went up to see Bubby. I had met my wife when she had just turned 18, and shortly after I had met her, um, her grandfather died, Boamel, and he was quite old as well, and um, Bubby just took a liking to me, and um, she had a she had a heavy, heavy accent, and she talked like this, oh, Danny, how are you, my, my Daniel? She called me Daniel. Oh, my Daniel, how are you? I would love to see you. And she was just very verbose and um, it was kind of a sweet little relationship we had. We'd talk on the phone and, of course, her and Robert would talk and they would talk in Czech, you know. And, um, of course, my father-in-law, um, he, he came over to America for the first time, I think, when he was about 10 or 11 and um, didn't speak much English at all. And ended up learning English through the school that my 
wife's grandfather sent him to. And, excuse me. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. Oh, I love to sneeze. Ooh, feels so good. Um, so Boamel, or Robert, that was um, Robert, my father-in-law's name, Robert. We, we've always called him Robert, but um, his name in Czech, I think, is Boamel, so he's named after his father, which his father went by Bob. <clears throat> but anyway, my father-in-law was quite smart, too, um, very intelligent. Um, he spoke several languages as well. <coughs> From what I understood, Polish, German, um, and Russian, and Czech are all very, very similar. And so um, he was able to speak those languages, and I think he even spoke or speaks uh, even even more. He's still alive today. Robert is um, 80 and um, still kicking. Uh, mind is good. <laughs> and um, anyway, um, Bubby... For years, uh, I was married to my wife for years before we ever drove up to Wisconsin to see Bubby. And uh, I felt that it was important to record her life um, on video. And um, so I traveled all the way up there, my wife and our, uh, and my nephew, was before we even had kids. <laughs> so this has been probably, good Lord. Maybe we had Emily. I think maybe we did have Emily. So it's been least 27 years ago and uh, we rode up to Eau Claire and it's gorgeous went through Chicago I'd never been through Chicago before wasn't real impressed with it but um, we, uh, we drove up to Eau Claire beautiful place Wisconsin's gorgeous especially that area and um, <clears throat> they lived out in the woods now I'll just tell you it was, it was a really small town and very rural um, and we uh we drove up there, took a good amount of time to get there, but we drove up there and um, I got to interview Bubby and I have a, a DVD with her interview on it and my father-in-law has just wept at times because I had done that and he has this, this story of his mother's life and so <laughs> it sort of triggered something in me and so I did that with my grandmother, and um, I've done that with Robert, my father-in-law, and with his wife, Louise, uh, who are both uh, 80 years old. And um, so to bring the story back around to the beginning, <clears throat> when I celebrated this birthday with this 102-year-old lady yesterday, I was so hoping that at some point I could... I could um, go and interview her and maybe, you know, get some information from her about her life and, and, and the life she lived. She was born in Savannah, Georgia, and soon after being born, she moved down to Florida, and she's been here ever since. But <laughs> I'd love to hear the perspective of her life, you know, through her eyes and her memories. <clears throat> and so I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to reach out to the family and to the <clears throat> to the, um, the lady and ask if I could record her. Um, it's just amazing when I think about the uh, the history that we have around us, and these people are dying off. And unless they pass this oral history down, we're <clears throat> you know we're we're sort of uh, 
losing out on real life history. So anyway, um, maybe maybe this inspires you. Maybe there's someone in your family who's um, getting up in age. Um, even if they weren't, you know, an ambassador or, you know, they, they didn't do something extraordinary. They lived and their life is important and their story is important. And so maybe this will encourage you. Um, gosh, the way cell phones are today, you can, you know, you don't need all the equipment anymore. You just set up a cell phone and start recording. But um, maybe you'd like to do that with one of your family members. Hey, maybe even you've done that already. That'd be awesome. Anyway, so that's our podcast for today. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And um, no more crazy dreams. I'm, I will tell you, I've not had any more crazy dreams yet, but um, I'm still hoping I can get back into that lucid dreaming again. But until next time, folks, have a great day.